annual general meetings are not known to be events of great humor. But a number of years ago, we all had a great laugh at our KZMC AGM. We were discussing a plan, a revitalization plan for our cemetery and, and a proposal to stretch a decorative fence across the front of the property just to spruce things up a little bit. And, and as we were discussing this one dear soul who will remain nameless, uh, she put up her hand and with quick, dry wit, wonderful humor, she said, why do we need a fence? Are we worried they're going to get out? And, and everybody laughed and I, I still can't help but have a big smile when I think of that moment. But it's, it, I mean, it's silly, but it's an interesting comment. Here we are in a cemetery and this is a place where there is no life. This is a place where wonderful people, people who cared for others, people who worked hard, people who played practical jokes, people who developed and built the foundations of society that we stand on have been laid to rest in the ground. And now they are dead. They are lifeless. Where joy once was, where, where life once flourished, there's quiet. We hear the breeze. We hear bumblebees buzzing about in a, in a number of weeks as they collect pollen, but this is a place of lifelessness and death. And I, and I bring you here and, and use this to kind of help the point hit home that Paul presents to us in our text today. He says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. You were dead. You were lifeless as, as these wonderful folks are now dead. Their physical remains are under the ground and this is the end of the story. So it is for us when we're caught up in sin. Now, it's a hopeful story. There's wonderful good news. We're going to get to that, but we need to receive the starkness of this message that in our sin and our transgressions, when we're caught up in that, we are dead. We are as if, as these folks who were once were full of life and are now quiet as their bodies lay below the ground. Paul says, you are dead in your sins and transgressions. All right, well, welcome here back into the indoors we are dead in our sins. So what is sin? This is the first question I think that we need to address together. What is sin? Basically, sin is anything that, I remember the, the phrase when I was a kid, it was anything we think, that we say, or that we do that goes against God's ways. It's any time when we say, I'm going to choose my course of action apart from what God would have for me. I'm going to be the master of my life, not God. Anything that we think, say, or do that is destructive to our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, or our relationship with others. So that's just a glimpse of what, what this sin is that creates death. Verse 1 of chapter 2, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now it's important to note, when Paul is speaking these words, he is speaking to an audience of those who have already placed their faith in Jesus. He's saying, hey, remember your past so that you can see what God has called you into now. This is what it looks like for your story to have become God's story. So he's addressing it to those who place their faith in Jesus. If you're listening to this, uh, this message and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, please listen along. We're going to offer kind of the, the, the hopeful response. We're going to offer the good news and invite you into this life. Um, so yeah, follow along. Super excited for that possibility for you. What are the cravings that you experience? What are the natural 
desires that you feel within your body, the ways in which you're consistently tugged toward uh, destructive behaviors. For many of us, there is a consistent pull within us to have sex with people who are other than our partners. For many of us, there's a craving toward more alcohol, more food, spending more money on uplifting our physical appearance. Maybe that craving or that natural inclination is to deck that guy on the rink who's been running his mouth. Or maybe it's the response that when you're in the grocery store and you see that last bag of flour on the shelf, your, your temptation is to, to sneak in ahead of the person who's about to grab it ahead of you. We all have these pulls, these ways in which our heart, our mind, the desires of our body pull us away from what is best and what is right. This is, this is real stuff. I experience this on a daily basis. And I'm going to bet that if you say you don't experience this, that, that you're not telling the truth. We experience these cravings, these desires of the flesh. And verse 3 speaks about this. It says, for those, when we were dead in Christ, we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. The struggle is real. These words about what it's like to be dead in Christ actually expose one of the greatest lies, if not the greatest lie, that's at work in society today. What is that great lie? It is that people are all basically good. I know that you've heard it. Perhaps you've even found yourself saying that or, or writing it as you've been influenced by the spirit, the teaching of this age, rather than the teachings of Scripture. It's this idea that all people are basically good. It's simply not true. Evidence throughout history bears it to be untrue. The words of Scripture testify that that is not true. Yes, People of all backgrounds, people of all faiths, people of all experiences have the capacity to do incredible good. We see that all the time in marvelous ways. God created all people in his image to reflect who he is. He's poured out his goodness on earth for all people, regardless of where they're at, what they believe to experience. So people have the capacity to do great good. And yet, within and around us, there's this consistent, stronger pull to do what is wrong? It is because of this idea of a sin nature within us, an orientation to do what's wrong within us, that Canada and across society oppressed First Nations peoples for hundreds of years. This is why people fight over TVs on Black Friday at Walmart. This is why we have to work so hard to teach our kids not to bite, not to hit, not to lie. This is why it seems as though genocide in some way, shape, or form is always taking place in some place in the world throughout the history of human civilization. It is because of the reality of sin nature, it's because of the reality that we are dead in our sins, that humans over millennia have yet to find a way to create perfect utopia. We have this bent, this inclination, this strong pull toward doing what is evil that we are slaves to, even as we do do measures of good along the way. We have a sin nature, all of us. We are dead in our sin. 
And then we get on, verse 3 goes on, it's just piling on the bad news here. It, it, this kind of feels depressing. Verse 3, it says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were going to be receiving wrath. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that God's going to pour all kinds of anger out on us and destroy us? It does not mean that. Bruxy Cavey teaches, he says, perhaps God's wrath is simply that God, after a myriad of warnings, gives us over to our own poor choices. God is love. It's God's heart, his will, that no one should perish, that no one should be destroyed. And he offers an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to walk with him. And if we refuse that, he says, okay, I'm going to hand you over. Your poor choices are destroying you. They're destroying others. God hates evil, despises evil, because God is the source of goodness. And so he's going to wipe it off the map one day. But part of wiping it off the map is that he says, if you want to choose this path, Rather than walking with me, I will let you go down that path. I will let you be your own master. I will let you experience the full, um, the full brunt of your choices. And that is destruction. That is the wrath of your poor choices. These are hard words. These are hard words, but they are words in our text that we cannot ignore. If we're going to be faithful to hear what God has to say. We're dead in our sins, and because of this, we are objects. Because of this sin nature, we are objects of wrath. We are dead in our sins. This is very difficult news, very difficult insight to grapple with. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Have you ever watched a toddler insist on getting themselves dressed when clearly they did not have the capacity yet to do this? My daughter Hannah, she'll be three this coming week. She's pretty excited to turn three. She's pretty good at it now, but not too long ago, she would insist on getting herself dressed. She'd be getting her dressed in the morning. She's like, no, daddy, I can do it. Like, All right, so step back, give her space, let her work this out. Well, inevitably, she would end up with her head stuck in the armhole of her shirt. She would end up with it on backwards. She would end up stumbling around. She would walk into the coffee table, fall over, and just be a pile of sorrow wailing on the floor because she insisted that she could get herself dressed when she didn't have the capacity to do it. Have you been there? Have you seen that? I think that all of us have seen it with our own kids, with our nieces and nephews. It actually is quite, quite amusing. But, but that's an image, actually, for how often we try to fix our own situation. We want to deliver us. We want to rescue ourselves from this mess, from this spiritual deadness that we are experiencing. We say, I, I don't want to inconvenience God. I should be able to deliver myself or, or I'm, I'm my own person. I can fix this. And so we proceed with pride. We proceed not with the humility that God calls us to. And we say, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm just going to be super patient with my kids today. Have you ever told yourself that? I'm just going if, if to, if I give a quarter of my tax return to the Huron County Food Bank Distribution Center, maybe then I can fix this situation. Maybe then I can make myself a good enough person that I will be able to experience peace, that I'll be able to experience this relationship with God. Or maybe say, well, if I, if I just pray a bunch more, maybe I'll, I'll, five minutes, I'll pray for five minutes every day. Maybe then I can fix my situation and become a good person. Maybe if I just sew a whole pile of masks, 
And we do all of these great things. These are our works, but they're not enough. We're still struggling with the negative effects of our sin. We still haven't created utopia. We still haven't arrived at the fullness of internal spiritual peace and hope. And so we're actually kind of like this kid saying, I can do it myself, but we're struggling. We've got our head stuck in the armhole of the shirt. And we end up wailing in a pile of sorrow on the floor. We are dead in our sin. Okay, so now let's get to the good news. I had to laugh a number of years ago. I was preaching and uh, (laughs) I referred to the word but in my text. Now, but as in B-U-T, one T, the conjunction. And I was, there was a, uh, the word but in my text. I was referring to it and and as I was preaching, I said, but there's a big but here. And all of a sudden I noticed a, a couple who also will remain nameless and they're laughing to themselves. And it kind of caught me like as I'm, as I'm in my next sentence or two, I'm like, what are they laughing about? Then all of a sudden it clicked. I was like, I just said a big but. That is what they're laughing about. And a while later I had the chance to connect with them. I was like, is that what you were laughing with? Like, oh yeah, yep, that was pretty, pretty hilarious. <laughs> Bruxy Cavey also in his teaching, he has used a, a kind of a catchy title where he says the big butts of the Bible. So B-U-T, ha-ha, um, these, these points where something is happening and then it says, but God, or Jesus would say, but I say to you. And, and so in this text, we actually have what could be the biggest but of the Bible, the most significant instance in which there's something horrible described and then God fixes the situation in the middle. It says, so you were dead in your sins, but God being rich in mercy. This is perhaps the biggest but, the biggest exception, saying, hold on, that's reality, but there's something more coming here. So here we have perhaps the biggest but of the Bible. Verse 4, it says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, but because of his great love for us, God is rich in mercy. Here, God flips the script. This is the hinge point of what is going on. He doesn't leave us in death. It says, because of his great love for us, God really, really, really likes you. Do you hear that? Like God likes you. And so that's why he says, I'm not going to leave you dead in your sin. I'm going to change this. I'm actually going to breathe life into you. He finds great joy in letting us off the hook of our sin, of the destruction of our horrible choices. Because of his great love for us, God gives life. We were dead in our sin, but God gives life. Verse 5 goes on, it says, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace that you have been saved. So envision a return to life. Envision we were in the cemetery earlier, and in that cemetery where it's still and where there's death. Imagine if today those people came back to life. If they stepped out of their graves and they began working again, they began laughing and they began hugging and telling stories, that would be remarkable. That would be astounding. That is actually an image for what God has done for us through Jesus. Where we were dead, he has given life. This is what God has done for us in a spiritual sense. We were dead, heading toward destruction, dead in our sins, but God gives life. Now, you might say, hold on, I actually don't feel all that alive. We talked about the cravings. We talked about the, the inclinations of our heart, our, our, our sinful desires. I still experience those. So if you say that I'm now saved, 
If you say that I now have life in Christ rather than death, how do I make sense of this? And this is a key principle. You may have heard me speak of this before, a key principle in Scripture that we see laid out along the way, and that is, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. We could say it this way, you, you, you have life, you're being given life, and you will be given life. So, you are saved. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, when you allow him to take your sin that he bore on the cross to pay the penalty, to suffer on your behalf, when you place your faith in Jesus, God says, I give you life, I save you, you are now my daughter, you are now my son. And so in a spiritual sense, in the way that God views you, he now views you in a different way. He now views you as his child. He views you as saved. There's a shift from death to life. And now so God has declared you, he's given you a new position that you are saved. You have life. So even as we don't fully experience in this life, it is something that God has declared for you. It's a promise that he's put into place that you can hold on to. So you are saved. You do have life. You are being given life. As we grow in our faith, we are being given life. As we mature, as we learn more about what God has called us to, as we learn to be obedient to his commands, as we spend more time with God and we learn his heart, as we receive his healing, all of these good things, we grow, we mature in our faith, we are being saved. We are being given life. The, the grip of our cravings of our sinful nature is being loosened as we grow. I am more patient than I was 10 years ago. I am definitely less judgmental of people around me than I was 15 years ago. There are things I struggle with, and I still struggle in part with those things, but I have grown. I am being given life in those areas. Thanks be to God for that work that God is doing. So we are being given life. We will be saved. The third piece, we will be given life. Jesus is going to come back and fix everything. He's promised that. He says, I am going to return. And in that time, we will be fully saved. We will be fully given life. We won't sin anymore. We won't struggle. We'll be given perfect bodies. We will live in a perfect universe of shalom, of the fullness of peace, of righteousness, utopia. We will be saved and we will experience the fullness of life. And, and so we, we have been given life. We are being given life and we will be given life. So if you don't experience what I'm talking about completely right now, and I, I expect that you don't, don't be discouraged. This is something that God has declared for you. He's working out in you and he will give fully and finally one day. Earlier on, I had talked about how we try to fix things for ourselves. We end up like a toddler with their head stuck in a shirt. This is so common. We want to say, I did this. We want to be our own master, but it does not work that way. Verse eight of our text says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is a huge verse. It clarifies so many things for us. It really expresses the heart of the good news of Jesus. There's a reason why this is one of the most frequently memorized verses in the entire Bible. It is a gift. What's the best gift that you have ever received? Possibly the best gift I ever received was a hockey net. My dad built me a hockey net when I was, I don't know, like seven or eight years old. 
And I had a lot of fun with that hockey net. Spent a lot of hours playing with my brothers. Uh, yeah, I remember being out in the dark late at night shooting, shooting uh, pucks. Great fun. So with this gift that I received for Christmas, did I help my dad weld the pipes together? No. Did I help him tie on the twine? No. Did I place that net under the tree for me to receive the next morning? No, I did not do any of that because it was a gift. If I had participated in creating it and bringing it and giving it, then it would be a shared project, not a gift. And what God says in this text is that his, um, the life that he is offering, it is a gift. It is something that he gives. It is not something that we participate in. So there's actually nothing you can do. You do not need to feel the weight of becoming a better person. What do you do when you receive a gift? What did I do that morning? I showed up. My dad's like, here, Merry Christmas. And I received it and I went and played with it. I did nothing to make that happen. And so it is with this gift of new life in Christ. It is a gift. You just got to show up. You got to show up and be like, awesome. You can't just walk away and say, well, I don't want that. I don't want anything to do with it. That's not receiving a gift. You hold out your hands, you receive it, and you take it for yourself. What has been created, what has been given to you. So all of this is a gift. You cannot make it happen yourself. You can't boast and say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I did this. That's not possible to have life in Christ. We are called to humble ourselves and to receive that gift. So there you have it. There's a bunch more stuff in the text, some, some talk about how we'll be raised when we're given new life in Christ. We'll be raised to sit with Jesus in the heavenly realms. There's some stuff about how we're God's workmanship, literally his poetry, um, to then go on and do the good works he's pre prepared for us. I'm not going to elaborate on that. Uh, go to Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, and read about that and mull that over some good truths there. So I'm not going to elaborate on that today. But I want you to catch this vision of what it means to have been given life instead of death. We in our world are ruled by sin and death, but our story can be so different. You can be given joy. You can be given freedom. You don't need to strive any longer. And why does Paul write this to people who already received it? It's because they have to be reminded of it. He's saying, this is what's been accomplished. This is what's been given to you. But you're walking outside of it. You're struggling. You're striving. You're fearful. You've lost hope. Remember what God has done for you. You're no longer living as dead people. You're no longer slaves to your sinful desires. You have been given new life. You've been given this gift. We need to receive that reminder also to quit striving, to have that peace, that hope, that joy because of this gift. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, it hasn't been easy the last couple of weeks. And I know we've all been, been struggling with COVID-19 realities in our own different ways. But for myself as a pastor, like my mind kicks into all the things that I think I, I need to be doing and worrying about all the things that I'm not doing. And to be honest, worrying about the future of the church and things that I see and things that I hope for and, and all this stuff. I, I get, uh, I don't know, just spinning in circles. I haven't been doing a great job at this, this striving. And, and when I hear this text, I need to receive it. And I need to receive God's words that this is a gift. He has given me life, regardless of what I do or what I don't do, regardless if I'm successful or not successful, regardless if I'm emotionally put together or a mess. God has given me life. God has invited me deeper into this life. 
And when I take that deep breath, I hold up my hands and I receive it, it does make a difference. It gives me joy. It gives me hope. It gives me peace. And so I want to invite you into this vision of what it means to walk as people, to live as people who've received this new life with vibrancy. Instead of being dead in a grave, may you be like a flower that is blossoming, a flower full of life. Now, if you've been listening to this message and you've never received this new life in Jesus, I want to invite you to consider that right now. There is no better life. God has so much in store for you. And, and, and I, I need you to hear these words that you are headed toward death and destruction. You are headed toward death and destruction. If you push God away and say, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want to walk with you. I don't want to know what you have in store for me. God will say, all right, all right. You can be your own master, but that is a step to away from my goodness and a step toward death and destruction. That, that is your future apart from Christ. Hard words, but you need to hear those. And so God is saying, hey, but I've got this gift. And so I invite you to respond to Jesus. I invite you, it says, this is through faith. Place your faith in Jesus. What does that mean to have faith? Basically, it means I believe in you, God. I believe that you, you gave your life on the cross to die for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want you to be my master. I want you to direct my life. I want to receive this life that you give. So you can just ask God. You can pray about it. Reach out to me. Reach out to somebody you know. would love to have you make that choice so that you can even make that first step of being given life. And then you can grow in what it means to, to, uh, to, to have received life. And then to, in the process of being given life. And then one day you will fully and finally be given life. This can be your story too. There is no better story than a story of walking with Jesus. It is a story of peace. It is a story of hope. It's a story of receiving a remarkable gift from God. We were dead in our sin, but God gives life. This can be your story too. All right, thanks so much for joining me for this time. As I usually say, we'd love to have you join us Sunday morning, 11 a.m. on Zoom. Uh, message me for that link. And just to get together, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to read a bit of scripture, we're going to be hearing from a, a bunch of different, different people, a little bit of Mother's Day um, stuff as well. So join us 11 a.m. on Zoom Sunday morning. All right, may God be with you. Take care.